again uh, by asking God's uh, blessing on what we do here uh, and his guidance. Heavenly Father, I praise you for who you are. I praise you for your sovereign majesty and your grace abounding and that your love ever moves out toward us to bless and to water our thirsty areas. And I ask that tonight uh, your spirit be in control and that you guide us uh, to where you want us to go, that you break and bless your scripture and apply it uniquely in the hearts of each of us uh, let it speak to each of us uh, according to our need, according to what we need to hear from you and how we need to be. And I ask that you take this time and um, you be the teacher and you be the one who hears and the one who speaks uh, so that all that is said and done here honors you, glorifies your kingdom, and therefore can be blessed by you. I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we are looking uh, tonight at the mystery of um, blessing. It is something that mystifies and intrigues me both. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to God for his mystery. That no matter how much we know and how much we know of him and how... Um, acquainted we are with him, there is still more of mystery than there is of knowing of him uh, because his ways are not our ways. He is so far beyond our grasp um, that it took God incarnate to begin to show us who he is. But faith is um, God's answer for us to his mystery. Uh, Faith is the bridge between what we know and what we do not know. And uh, this mysterious God who is so beyond us can only be accessed by the bridge of faith that allows for us to have a God who is mysterious and yet embrace a God who wants to be known. And so we're looking here <clears throat> at the mystery of blessing. And, of course, we, we begin uh, with... Um, the, the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament we see that, that people yearned for the blessing of their fathers. Their, their, the children, the blessing was uh, critical to uh, the family system in the Old Testament. And so you see these, um, these episodes here, particularly with Jacob uh, in, uh, in Genesis 27, 28, 30, 32 where he, uh, he goes to great lengths, uh, prompted or, or prodded by his mother to deceive his blind father into giving Jacob the blessing of the firstborn. And that speaks to the urgency with which and the importance uh, uh, that these people of old placed upon the idea of blessing. And so you see uh, Jacob resting um, uh, the blessing of the firstborn from his father by deceit. 
And then you see this uh, kind of a strange situation over in Genesis 32. So you might turn there if you've brought your Bibles. Uh, to Genesis 32, verse 24, you see Jacob going after blessing again. <laughs> he just cannot be satisfied. And uh, this time it is with a stranger. A man, and I put that in quotes because it turns out to be that it was an angel in the form of a man. And Jacob wrestles with this being all night long. Now, my, you know, one of the questions is why would, he, um, why would he be so desirous of a blessing? He'd already gotten the blessing of his father. I think it was because he understood the blessing was fraudulent and therefore meaningless to him because he had gotten it by deceit. He was not firstborn. Uh, I, think it, I think its significance paled for him. Uh, Jonathan, come on in. I, um, I think the significance of what he had gone to such great lengths to secure um, faded. And he realized he needed something that was authentic. So you see over here in uh, Genesis 32, starting with verse 24, Jacob was left alone, and there, wrestled, and there he wrestled a man with him uh, until the breaking of the day. And um, when he saw that uh, when the, the man, the angel, we know him to be an angel, uh, we are in uh, Genesis 32, verses 24 through 28. Um, when the, the man saw that uh, he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. But he continued to wrestle. That did not deter him. And uh, the man said, let me go, for the day breaks. Day is dawning, and he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I am not going to let go of you until you bless me. <laughs> and he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God and with men, and you have prevailed. So, we see here the authentic blessing. And um, that blessing changed the course of his life. That blessing called forth who he really was. And it not only changed the course of his life, it changed the whole course of the children, what we call the children of Israel now. His name is the namesake of a nation. The country of Israel. Um, and it called forth a new character in him, I think. Because he'd been very deceitful, very conniving, very contentious. And... Uh, this blessing of the divine uh, called forth who he really was and changed his destiny and changed his course. So we began to see right here why blessing seemed to be so important 
in the Old Testament. Then you turn over to Numbers uh, 22, and you begin to see um, an unusual scene here between um, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, and a type of prophet. It was not a prophet of God, but he was a type of prophet. Um, he dabbled some in divinations. His name is Balaam. And uh, the children of Israel have gone through several countries uh, around about, the Amorites being the latest one, and they would always request safe passage, and the Amorites didn't give it to the children of Israel, and so um, this uh, 600,000-man army that the Israelites had uh, available to fight came against the Amorites and just pretty much destroyed them. And so the king of Moab, Balak, uh, was scared to death because he sees these two million people marching in precision through his countryside, and uh, he summons this man, Balaam. And um, I want to read a few things to you from uh, verse 22. I'll start with verse 6 and 7. Um, he sent messengers to Balaam, and he said, Come, I pray, and curse this people, for they are too mighty for me, because the Amorites had defeated the Moabites in a previous battle, just routed them. But the Amorites got routed by the children of Israel. So he was really scared. And so he's, he calls Balaam and he says, I am asking you to curse uh, these people for they are too mighty for me um, so that we might prevail against them, so that we might smite them, that I may drive them out of the land for I um, know that whom, he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So this Balaam prophet type figure had the reputation for whom he blessed, they received a blessing, and whom he cursed, they were blighted. And uh, you go on down uh, to verse 12. God said to, uh, to Balaam, Um, in verse 12, you shall not go uh, with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. You shall not do this. Uh, you go on down um, to verse... Well, in verse 18, he speaks to these people. He's got great resolve. He says... Uh, to the messengers that had been sent to, to fetch him, he said, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or to do more. Uh, and he said, um, Tarry here uh, on this night, and I will see what the Lord has to say. So you go on down uh, to verse 35. And... Uh, The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but, and I'm skipping over a whole series of things, so just know this is not, there's a lot left out here, but it's for the purpose of getting to the main points that we're looking at tonight. 
The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but um, only the word that I shall speak unto you shall you speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And going over to verse 41, And it came to pass uh, the next morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. These hilltop places where the prophet, uh, not the prophet, the, the god Baal uh, was worshipped. Uh, the same uh, Baal that Elijah later on was to kill 400 prophets of Baal uh, in 1 Kings 18. So he takes him up to this place that is, uh, you know, a worship place uh, of Baal so that he might see all of the people of Israel that were passing through the land. Now going down to chapter 23, um, verse, starting with verse 7. And um, this is where um, Balak is asking him from the top of this uh, hilltop where Baal is worshipped to curse uh, the children of Israel. And in verse 7, um, Balaam took up this parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from uh, Aram out of the mountain and said, Come curse Jacob and come defy Israel. But how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord has not defied? And from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Verse 10, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. And Balak said unto Balaam, what have you done unto me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold you have blessed them. And uh, go on down. Uh, and, and Balaam says in verse uh, 12, I, must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord has put in my mouth to speak? And so in verse 14, Balak brings him to another place, the top of Mount Pisgah. And he asks him to curse them there. And he goes away to see what the Lord wants him to say, and the Lord gives him a blessing to give. And he speaks this blessing. It infuriates the king. What have you spoken? In verse 17, he says. And... Um, uh, verse, well, in verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that should, he should repent, has he said, uh, and shall he not do it? He, whatever he said he will do. Has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he that blesses, I cannot reverse it. And look what he says here in verse 21. He has uh, not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. He's prophesying about Christ. He said that the shout of a king is among the children of Israel. And so you go on over to... Um, 24, or 25, Balak said unto Balaam, then don't curse them at all, nor bless them. He's just trying to get him to stop. <laughs> and 
Balaam answered and said, did I not tell you that I would only say what the Lord has given me to say? And, um, and then uh, Balak brought Balaam to another place at Mount Peor. And here again, over in chapter 24, um, Balaam uh, pronounces a blessing from the Lord upon the children of Israel. Now this is, poses lots of quizzical thoughts here. They are up on high places looking at the children of Israel passing through the valley below. The curse, if it had been spoken, would never have been heard by the children of Israel, nor was the blessing ever heard by the children of Israel. And you could think, well, these are just two people who just have this exaggerated view of what blessing and curse meant that was meaningless. But it wasn't because this was something significant to God. God told Balaam not to curse the children of Israel because they are a blessed people. It was important to God that Balaam speak to the heir a blessing. One that was not ever heard by the people upon whom he pronounced the blessing. And so you think, okay, what is this about? Um, I don't think we can fully know, but I think it suggests that there is a power in the words that come out of our mouth and that there is something there in that power here in Numbers that was important to God that Balaam speak. And that it brings to mind the scripture in Matthew where it says every idle word will be accounted for. Uh, anything above what God tells us to say is of evil. I'm paraphrasing. But you get the feeling here that the idea of blessing or curse for that matter carries more power to it. Our words carry more power than we would suspect. Uh, that it's not in the hearing only that blessing is transmitted. Now, is hearing important? Yes, I think it is important. But there was no hearing here, and yet blessing happened. And conversely, if the curse had been given, whatever that means, speaking ill toward the children of Israel, that that would have had bearing. So I think what we take from this is a lot of curiosity about what this really is saying about the power of our words, but also a, a guarded reverence in how we use our words. Um, on over in um, Deuteronomy 11, verses uh, 26 and 28, I'll read that and then I'll just paraphrase uh, the rest of the scripture references that I'm going to go to uh, there regarding this next um, 
reference, but in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, there's something really interesting here. Um, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God. And they're getting ready to, to move over into Jordan. And this is preparation for that. No, I don't mean over into Jordan. Across the Jordan, over into the promised land. Um, and so most of Deuteronomy is, a, a lot of Deuteronomy is getting the children of Israel ready for this passageway over in uh, to Canaan uh, across the Jordan. A blessing, verse 27, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you, and a curse if uh, you will um, not obey the commandments of the Lord your God and if you go after other gods. Um, then turn over. This is the introductory to Deuteronomy chapter 27. And uh, I, I do need to read that. I had... Uh, Uh, thought that uh, a couple of mountains were mentioned there in that uh, Deuteronomy 11. They're not in, in Deuteronomy 27 is where they're mentioned. Uh, in Deuteronomy 27, verse uh, 12, I'll start with verse 11 as lead in. And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, now this is where they're getting ready to, to cross over. These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right to bless, and there are representatives from three, uh, from um, six tribes, well, uh, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin tribes. So half the tribes are going to stand on, uh, or representatives from half the tribes are going to stand on Mount Gerizim to speak a blessing. And uh, verse 13, these shall stand upon Mount Ebal, to curse, and he mentions the, the six tribes that will, will do that. And the Levites shall speak. So there, there's two mountains here, and half the tribes are going to speak a, uh, what the curses will be if there's not obedience, and half the tribes will speak what the blessing will be if there is obedience. And this is their inaugural entry into this new country of Canaan. And so on two facing mountains, these people are speaking a blessing and a curse. So it's, it's a real strange thing that how important this is to God. This is what God gave as instruction. This is not them just ginning it up. This is God. And so how are we to understand these strange blessing issues and, and presentations here in the Old Covenant as children of the New Covenant. Uh, where does blessing, what role does it play uh, for us? And I would say a good starting point is Matthew 5, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, um, in uh, verse 14, uh, uh, no, not 14, 44, I believe it is, Get on over here. Yes, Matthew 5, uh, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you. 
Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you. The word in the Greek there for curse carries the idea of speak well toward. Speak well toward those that speak ill of you. In uh, Romans 12, um, Paul kind of takes off on this. And um, in verse 14, he gives a little bit of maybe an amplified suggestion here of blessing and curse. He says in verse 14 of chapter 12 of Romans, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So persecution kind of adds a slightly different, it's not just those who are speaking ill, but those who may be doing really uh, real harm to us. He is saying, bless them. You look at the rest of Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and you begin to see that blessing is not just what we speak, but what we do. There is blessing of words, and there is blessing of act and action. Um, verse 38, you've heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, don't resist evil. It sounds like a strange thing, but why, why not resist evil? Are we not supposed to resist evil? Well, when I resist evil, I almost always look like the evil I resist. I, I'm gussied up a little bit. You know, there may be lipstick on the pig, but I'm... I'm still doing things in a way that usually is not honoring to God. And I think he's, he, Christ knows that when we resist evil, we usually give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We give back in kind. And that changes us. And what he's talking about here in Matthew 5, 38 through 48 is to tell us that we are to be a people of blessing. Of all people on earth, you and I are to be a people of blessing and that we are to bring blessing, to speak blessing to a cursed world. The curse came in Genesis and it does not, is not lifted until Revelation. We are in a cursed world and he is saying we are to speak blessing to this world. We're not just to speak blessing, we are to be blessing by our actions as well as our words. So he goes into verse 39, the last part of it, whoever will strike you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue you at law to take away your, your coat, let him have your cloak as well. If someone will compel you to go uh, a mile, and this was, you know, if a Roman soldier needed you to help carry his, his armor for a mile, that was a legal requirement. You were to go beyond that and go two miles with him and help him. Give to him that ask. In other words, part of blessing is our generosity. We are to be a people of generosity we're not to say, okay, what is this person going to do with this if I give this to them? We're to be wise in how we help people and what we give, but we're not to be their Holy Spirit. 
he is saying here, give to them that ask of you and from him that would borrow, don't turn them away. You have heard that it has been said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. And here's the blessing of action, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So Christ came and turned our world on its ear, our comfortable world of rightness and fairness and justice because he is not about making us um, defenders of fairness. He is about making us blessers, a people who will bless this cursed earth with our light and our love and with a whole new way of doing things because he has called us into a whole new order of human being. Now, Proverbs uh, tells us in uh, chapter 18 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life both. And um, when Christ says to bless those that curse us, I think he is speaking to us about the power of what we say. That it will either bring people to life or it can destroy something precious in them. There's something about the spoken word that carries both blessing and curse, and it has to do with the message. It's not that we're talking about with the idea of a curse, a hex being put on us by someone's words. It's about a message or a belief being put into us. So, you look back on your life, and I look back on mine, and we see those places that were tipping points for us. Where someone said something or did something toward us that wounded something deep in us, that pierced a deep place in us in a negative way. And I would imagine that most of us can carry the very words that were spoken that day, in that moment. We can quote them. Because the words spoken cursed something in us, put a message in us, a belief in us that we bought into. And conversely, I would imagine there's some of us who had people who were blessers in our lives, who spoke 